So Jesus, uh, come, Holy Spirit, and open our hearts to hear what you would have to say to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this summer, as you know, we're preaching our way through the Gospel of Mark, and we've seen how this story is like an action movie full of fast-moving scenes, nonstop conflict between good and evil, a popular hero who defends the weak against the powerful, unexpected plot twists, and a race against time. Jesus is not meek and mild in Mark's Gospel, as he constantly displays supernatural powers and cleverly bests his opponents in verbal combat every time. I really enjoy a good action film. Batman or Bond, Bourne or Baggins, I love them all. Bad action movies, they're expendable. But Mark's script is awesome. Jesus is larger than life, but for all his power, he's not intimidating. And despite the fact that he's God in the flesh, he's approachable. Jesus spent time with everyone, people who were religious and not so religious, rich and poor, uh, sick and well, people of all ages, elders, adults, children, and teens. Jesus even chose a high school kid as his youngest disciple named John. People were amazed by Jesus, but they weren't put off by him. They were drawn to him. Even his opponents couldn't help but watch and listen to this guy. In person, he really wasn't intimidating. But I find that lots of people are intimidated by the Bible. Maybe you are too. It's big. 66 books, thousands of pages, thousands of years distant from us. It can seem intimidating. But like Jesus, the written word has power. Power to draw us closer to God. Power to fuel revival and transformation in our lives and our communities. Part of my job is to help all of us understand the Bible better. I love teaching people how to study the Bible and be amazed by it, be changed by it, but not be intimidated. You can understand the Bible. You don't have to be a pastor or a Bible scholar for God to speak to you. So as I preach through this passage, I'll be pointing out simple ways that you can study the Bible for yourself. Whenever we read the scripture, we want to ask the basic question, what does this mean? What's going on in this passage? We can ask this question whenever we're reading scripture at home. What does this mean? In our passage, Mark highlights two ideas by repeating them over and over. The word tradition is repeated six times, and the word defile is repeated seven times. Repetition draws our attention to what's important. For six chapters now, Jesus has been making quite an impression on the religious leaders, on his disciples, on the crowds. Basically, everyone has been amazed by what Jesus has been teaching and by his miracles. Already by chapter three, the religious leaders are trying to destroy Jesus, and they've been going after him for several chapters now. By the time we get to chapter seven, everyone is stunned by what Jesus says when he says in this chapter, what does Jesus say? What does it mean? Well, Jesus starts off with a zinger. He blasts the religious leaders with you hypocrites. And he quotes Isaiah's condemnation on them. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Isaiah emphasizes how God wants our hearts 
not merely some puffed-up observance of oppressive human rules. Jesus doesn't like an outward appearance of being super-religious. God wants true honor. He wants us to honor him from our hearts. But the religious leaders are more concerned to criticize Jesus about ceremonially washing and defilement. Jesus turns the tables and criticizes them for much worse than hand-washing. In fact, Jesus repeats his main idea three times so nobody can miss it. Verse 8, you have let go the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. Verse 9, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Verse 13, thus you nullify the word of God to observe your tradition that you have handed down. Mark and Jesus want to make us make sure that we understand what this passage means. Jesus wants us to honor God and his word from our hearts more than we honor any human tradition. Remember, Jesus repeats his main point three times before turning to give two examples of it. We are to honor God and his word from our hearts more than we honor any human traditions. Well, as I studied this passage and Jesus' use of repetition, I was reminded of Henrietta Mears, who was an incredibly influential Bible teacher down in Hollywood Presbyterian Church, one of the best in her generation. She often said, all good teachers repeat themselves. Let me say that again. All good teachers. Good, good, you're awake. So Jesus gives two examples, negative examples, of how the religious leaders honor human traditions more than they honor God's word. Jesus' first example is korban. What does that mean? With something unfamiliar like this, it's good to have a study Bible or to check our library's website or Bible commentaries. Korban was their tradition that combined elements of a charitable gift annuity, a living trust, a tax shelter, and a deferred gift. I consulted with some of our finance people, and because it sure sounds like something Wall Street would cook up. Here's how Korban works. I agree to give an amount of money to the church. I, uh, I own it. They own it now. And they can do whatever they want with it after I die. But before I die, I, can, I retain the, the right to spend it however I want, even though it's already been given to the church. You follow that? You can always tell the people they're following because they want in on this action. Our finance people said no to Corban. Yes to legacy gifts, but Corban is right out. So people in the first century were using this Corban scam to shelter their money in the temple so they could claim that they couldn't afford to help other people, even their parents, since all their money had been devoted to God. And you wouldn't steal from God, would you? Jesus points out this is outrageous. Because everyone knew that you could spend it however you wanted, and everyone knew the fifth commandment to honor your parents. It's a perfect example of a selfish human tradition being crafted to weasel around God's command to love and care for each other. We cannot honor God by ignoring his commands. Later on, Jesus will tell his disciples, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Jesus made it all very simple. Love God, love others. If it gets much more complicated than that, look out. In the second example, Jesus returns to the uh, teacher's original criticism about ceremonial washing. At dinner time, at my family, we wash our hands, sit at the table, pray, and then eat. 
well, actually, we wash our hands, sit at the table, ask each kid if they really wash their hands, and then we sit down and eat, uh, pray and eat. But So it's good to wash your hands. Uh, germs, turns out germs really exist, and they can make you sick even though you can't see them. Uh, so it's, it's good to wash your hands. But this passage is not about washing your hands before you eat, and Mark makes sure we know that. Mark explains these unfamiliar traditions uh, to us in verses 3 and 4, and then he signals why it's important by repeating the word defile seven times. The religious leaders took a concern for holiness and purity from God's word, and then they created this human tradition of ceremonial washing, which was not commanded in Scripture. This human tradition separated the religious leaders from the common people. Everyone who didn't observe their tradition was labeled defiled, unclean, not worthy of approaching clean people or a holy God. And these groups should not mix, for defilement is contagious. So every time the religious leaders washed in front of everybody, it was a symbolic reminder that some people are closer to God and everyone else should clean up their act. Like with Korban, the leaders used an idea from Scripture, like approaching God with a clean heart, and warped it to avoid God's command to give true honor to God and love others. Again, Jesus uses repetition, like all good teachers. He repeats three times, what comes out of your heart defiles you, not anything that touches your hands or goes in your body. Evil is first conceived in the heart, and then is born into evil actions. Jesus says evil hearts defile people, not skipping a ceremonial washing. And Jesus lists both sinful actions and sinful attitudes so that both the religious leaders and the common people would know that everyone is on the same level. We all sin, and we all need to be saved from our sins. Only God is holy, and only God can make us holy. And no one is holier than thou. God doesn't grade on a curve. Now, holiness can be a little bit of a distant concept for us, so maybe this will help explain what it means. There's a great version of tag called amoeba tag. Has anybody played it? Amoeba tag is great. It's really fun, and it's only a little dangerous. Uh, Whoever is it starts out as the amoeba. That person runs around and tries to tag someone. Anybody tagged by the amoeba becomes part of the amoeba, And they must hold hands and run around and try to tag more people. The amoeba gets bigger and longer and more dangerous as children learn centrifugal force. Uh, It's really a great game. Anyway, the religious leaders were really great at amoeba tag. They had figured out that holiness is just like the game. The world is it. And the religious folks ran around trying to stay holy by keeping away from the world's contagiousness. So the, great, the Good Samaritan is a great example of how good the religious leaders were at amoeba tag. Both the priest and the Levite saw their brother down in the ditch who'd been tagged by the world, and they dodged to the other side of the road and got away holy. But this leaves us one problem. Jesus praised the Good Samaritan who didn't play the game right and helped the guy in the ditch, and Jesus, in this passage, isn't worried about this washing defilement racket, and he's hanging out with the so-called unholy people. So something's not quite right. And this is Mark's plot twist, where we learn how revolutionary Jesus is. 
Jesus turns our understanding upside down. Jesus came into our messy world, and do you know what he said? He said, I am it. I'm it. See, amoeba tag is the right game, but the amoeba is Jesus and his disciples. Jesus turns everything around. He says to his disciples, tag, you're with me. Now come on and let's tag some more people. Hold on to my hand and let's, let's go out there. Holiness isn't as much about being separate as the religious leaders thought as it is about being connected, connected to God and his purposes. That's what holiness means, set apart for a special purpose. God is holy and everything connected to God is holy. The game isn't to stay away from the world, but to hold on to Jesus and tag others back into God's saving purposes, revived and redeemed. So Jesus shows everyone that his opponents have it all backwards. Clean hearts honor God and please Jesus, and only Jesus makes us clean. Once again, the opponents had created a hypocritical human tradition to ignore God's saving purposes. So we've read the text. We've asked, what does it mean? We've learned about the korban and the washing traditions, and now we understand a bit about what's going on in this passage. So now we're ready to ask, so what? What does all this mean for me? How do I apply this passage of scripture to my life? Well, there's several ways to figure out how to apply a text. The easiest way is to just look for commands, things to do or not do. In our passage, there's really only one command. Moses says, honor your father and mother, the fifth of the Ten Commandments. So that's pretty straightforward, and we should obey that. But that's not the main point here. Often Jesus doesn't use commands to tell us what he wants from us. For example, he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus wants true honor. We honor Jesus with our lips and with our hearts, with our worship and our inner life. Jesus wants integrity, not hypocrisy. So how do we make our outer behavior match our inner life? Jesus tells us to focus on our hearts. From our hearts flows our behavior. Jesus transforms us from the inside out. Remember Jesus' main point. We are to honor God and his word from our hearts more than we honor any human traditions. And that provides a second application for us. Honor the word of God over human traditions. We need to know God's word and obey it. Our culture tells us to listen to experts and to trust them without even checking their trustworthiness. We even trust preachers without checking the Bible. But Jesus says, honor the scriptures if you want to know God's best for you. How do we do that? Do you read a little bit of the Bible each day? When was the last time you memorized a verse? Put the word of God in your heart. Do you know the Ten Commandments? Some people in our church listen to the Bible while they're commuting or working out. Others are in Bible studies or small groups. There's lots of ways to honor the word of God and let it transform you. So when we ask, what does this mean for me? We can look for commands. Second, look for role models. Are there people in the story we should be like or not be like? Well, that's easy. Don't imitate the religious leaders who create traditions to avoid loving God and others. Instead, imitate Jesus, who ate with sinners, loved them, and gave his life up for them. So how do we apply that? What does that mean for us? 
well, Nancy know-it-all, if we spend time, uh, lots of time doing good things, but we don't spend much time in prayer, we're imitating the wrong people in the story. Prayer and scripture are the two most important, powerful ways that the Holy Spirit transforms us from the inside out. But we often crowd them out of our lives. We like to know about God, but the true goal is to know God, to love God. Well, what other role modeling is in this story for us? Well, if my morality is above reproach, but I don't associate with the kinds of people that Jesus hung around, I need to apply this passage to my life. We need to love people, all kinds of people, not just people we look like or agree with. Jesus models loving people, but his kind of love includes helping people, according to verse 11. He helps people in the way that people need help. So we learn to apply a text to our life by looking for commands, looking for role models, and third, we look for the gospel. What is the good news for us in this text? Often in the Bible, it's not about doing or not doing some action. Instead, God wants us to pay attention to what God is doing, to believe something, to receive God's love. The great tragedy in the church is that sometimes we forget the most important thing. Jesus was always telling people the good news that God loves us unconditionally. The good news certainly isn't about honoring human traditions. It's not even about doing right and avoiding wrong. Christianity is about accepting the truth that God loves us regardless of what we do or don't do, and Jesus has done everything necessary to redeem, forgive, and restore us. The tragedy in the church is that many Christians don't truly believe this good news. We don't believe in God's love and God's power and God's goodness, truly. Something gets warped or forgotten, and Jesus has to remind us again of the good news. What's the good news for you in this passage? Jesus says, you are not defiled. You are not far from God. I want to eat with you. I want to spend time with you. Your heart is not too hard for me to soften. Your heart is not too broken for me to heal. I want you to join me. Come and see what I'm doing. Whether we've been following Jesus for as long as we can remember, or we haven't yet decided to follow Jesus, or something in between, Jesus is constantly inviting us to follow him, to hang out with him, to receive his love, his life, his power, his purpose. You can say yes to Jesus today, wherever you are, whoever you are. I invite every person here to make a choice to follow Jesus. For some, this may be the first time you've decided to accept God's love in Jesus. The rest of us, maybe we have done it a thousand times. We need to choose again to put Jesus first, to give him our true honor, our first allegiance. We don't have to have it all figured out. We don't even have to be full of faith. Like the disciples, we can say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Let us all give as much as we understand of ourselves to as much as we understand of God. This is how we honor God. This is what the church is for, experiencing the love of Jesus and sharing it.
One of my mentors once told me that two things are needed in life and ministry, and I've been trying to do them ever since. He said, show up and pay attention. And that's pretty good advice. Actually, it works for a lot of things. Well, Jesus showed us this in this passage. Jesus showed up on this earth, and he paid attention to what God the Father was doing, and he paid attention to what people needed. In our passage, Jesus invites you and me to show up, to meet with him in prayer, to enjoy his friendship and love. Pick a special time and place to to show up, to, to meet with Jesus, and then pray throughout your day as you show up wherever God has placed you as his ambassador. And then pay attention. Pay attention to God in prayer. Pay attention to God's word. Read it, discuss it, but above all, apply it. Honor God and his word above all things. Don't be intimidated by the Bible. God wrote it for us, to change us, to give us life. Just read a bit each day. The Holy Spirit will be your teacher and will give you new life and new joy and new freedom in Christ. Would you pray with me? Jesus, help us to read and apply your word so we can know you better. We give you our hearts, our trust, and our lives. Amen.